Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey there, you like Dispatch? If you do, first off, that's awesome, thank you. Second, I got something else you're gonna like. Special new bonus content. That stuff you're not getting here on the show, like policy briefings and weekly rundowns on the latest cannabis news, is now available exclusively to premium subscribers of Politico Dispatch on the new Apple Podcast subscription platform. Check it out. All right, here's the show. Everyone. <laughs> if you've watched Seinfeld, you know what Festivus is. A Festivus for the rest of us. Festivus. Feminist. Festivus. If you don't, I'm about to tell you. And Politico's Nahal Tusi. I'm sorry if I look and act a bit strange. I had to go to the eye doctor today and I got my eyes dilated, so. Our fresh out of the eye doctor foreign affairs correspondent. She's about to tell you why Festivus is pretty relevant to tomorrow's big meeting between President Biden and Russia's Vladimir Putin. Dear son, happy Festivus? What is Festivus? It's nothing. See, George, one of Jerry Seinfeld's best friends in the show, his dad invented Festivus, a holiday where instead of a tree, there's a big metal pole. It's made from aluminum. Very high strength to weight ratio. And instead of presents, there are feats of strength and an airing of grievances. You gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. Now, how is all of this relevant to Biden and Putin? The focus tonight is shifting from the unity and camaraderie of the G7 to that high-stakes summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Well... Despite all the exciting coverage of international adversaries going toe-to-toe... It's the meeting that has the most tension, and of course, uh, the mainstream press, which I am a part of, and so are you, uh, you know, loves that sort of thing. Despite all of that excitement, not a whole lot is really expected to come out of the meeting. That is, aside from the airing of grievances. I wish I could give them like a Festivus poll or something, though, because I think more than anything, it's just going to be about airing grievances. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of solutions uh, that they're going to come to on this. And, you know, I don't know if there's going to be any feats of strength, but it is Vladimir Putin. So (laughs) Vladimir Putin can ride a horse without his shirt on, can drive a boat. He can even do the butterfly. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... Nahal Tusi on Putin and Biden's big festivus and what it all means for the rest of us. What happened last time an American president met with Vladimir Putin? So that was President Donald Trump meeting with Vladimir Putin in 2018 in Helsinki. And uh, basically what was really most memorable from that was their press conference. Before I begin, I want to thank President Ninisto of Finland for graciously hosting today's summit. I also want to congratulate Russia and President Putin for having done such an excellent job in hosting the World Cup. It was really one of the best ever, and your team also did very well. It was a great job. And President Trump uh, came across as so obsequious uh, to President Putin It was really, really astonishing. Even many of Trump's biggest supporters 
in the Republican Party were aghast at his performance. And on top of it, Trump seemed to side with the, uh, Putin over the U.S. intelligence community uh, in claiming that uh, Russia did not interfere with U.S. elections. Would you now, with the whole world watching, tell President Putin, would you denounce what happened in 2016, and would you warn him to never do it again? All I can do is ask the question. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. So it was very much an astonishing moment. Really, it's I will never forget watching that. I My, my jaw just fell open. So now... A couple years later, a new American president, Biden, is set to meet with Putin tomorrow in Geneva. Aside from a clear change in American leadership going from Trump to Biden, what has changed since then that, you know, will go into this meeting? America's relationship with Russia has gotten even worse the last few years. Everything from cyber hacking. This morning, a far-reaching attack from Russia on one of America's biggest companies. Microsoft alerting that hackers from the Russian-based group Nobelium infiltrated an email system used by the State Department's Agency for International Development. To uh, more election interference, uh, to assassinations or attempted assassinations of Russian dissidents. Alexei Navalny kissed his wife Julia goodbye just before he was detained at passport control in Moscow. Navalny's flight home began in Germany, where he'd been recovering for five months after being poisoned. For days, the exact location of Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny has been a secret. But we now know where he is, and Navalny himself is describing it as a, quote, real concentration camp. Uh, this has all infuriated the United States. Uh, and, you know, the Russians have their own grievances as well. And things are just really, really at a bad point. The U.S. says Russia's military buildup near Ukraine is larger than that of 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea. A Pentagon spokesman has called the deployment of Russian troops deeply concerning, urging Moscow to clarify its intentions. Now, there was one exception to that. Uh, President Biden agreed to extend a nuclear arms treaty with the Russians. But beyond that, it's just uh, it's just bad. <laughs> it's not good. And President Putin doesn't look like he's going anywhere. So I just, you know, I, I don't see any positive upward trajectory. And I think the best thing that the Biden administration is hoping for is just a plateauing of relations. It's interesting, though. I mean, despite these sort of terrible relations between the two countries, they are meeting. So it's something both leaders have to have had to agreed to. You know, I'm assuming they both want to get something out of it. What are the goals Putin is coming into this meeting with? I don't know what all of Putin's goals are, but I do think one thing that, you know, he, he does claim to say is this idea of finding ways to cooperate with the United States. Uh -huh. And there are some areas that maybe both sides can agree to cooperate on. And in theory, you can talk about climate change or uh, perhaps the Iran nuclear deal, that sort of thing. Um, those are areas that I think, you know, he can point to. Mm -hmm. But is this going to lead to some like massive change in Russian policy toward 
uh, the United States or the West? Is Russia going to like back out of Ukraine or any significant change? I don't think that's in the cards for Putin. I don't think he has any intention of doing anything dramatically different. Um, in terms of Biden, I think this is about at least being able to say that he tried. Hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. There are people who are criticizing Biden for meeting with Putin at all. They're like, why are we rewarding him with a meeting? And you can see their point, but the Biden administration's point is, well, you know, we we don't see it as a reward. We just want to make sure Vladimir Putin gets it straight from the top about what the United States wants and expects and what he can expect in return if he makes certain moves. Now, does that mean that things are going to go well or that Russia is going to stop being an annoyance in, in the U.S. point of view? No, not necessarily. But you have to remember if if there wasn't this meeting and this behavior continued, then Biden would probably be attacked for not talking to Putin. Mm. So <laughs> I guess they just made a strategic calculation that it was better to have this conversation and then do what we have to do. And Russia will make its own calculation as well. What's one thing you're going to be watching for, listening for with this meeting as someone who's been reporting on both of these leaders and their relationship and following them, you know, for years that other people might not be thinking about? Well, I actually just had a story published on this, uh, but I am really interested in Russia's relationship with China. Uh, and my understanding is that President Biden is also very interested in this particular dynamic. The Biden administration increasingly views the China-Russia connection, as um, as one person put it to me, almost a quasi-alliance. Uh, it used to be that years ago people thought, oh, this was just something where, you know, they get along tactically occasionally. It's kind of occasional uh, marriages of convenience and then they go their separate ways. They've had a long rivalry, but increasingly in recent years, they seem to have come to some sort of a deeper understanding. And so how Moscow and Beijing are going to be coordinating in the years going ahead, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I've been told that, you know, look, the list is long on on the things that they can discuss. Uh, but my understanding is that President Biden does intend to raise the China-Russia angle uh, in his conversation. Nahal Tusi, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today... Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is making it clear that he would block a Supreme Court nominee in 2024 if Republicans take back the chamber, a comment certain to increase liberal pressure on Justice Stephen Breyer to step down before next fall. In an interview with conservative talk radio host Hugh Hewitt, McConnell vowed on Monday that he would not view a high court pick made by President Biden any differently than how he viewed now Attorney General Merrick Garland in 2016. McConnell blocked Garland's Supreme Court nomination from consideration that year, citing divided government ahead of a presidential election. And Eric Adams is continuing to dominate the field of Democratic candidates for New York mayor. That's according to a new poll sponsored by WNBC, Telemundo 47, and Politico. Taking into account ranked choice voting, the survey conducted in June found that Adams, the Brooklyn Borough president, would win with 56% in the 12th round of counting. 
Commissioner Catherine Garcia would finish second with 44 percent, and Maya Wiley, a more liberal candidate, finishing third, getting dropped from the contest in the 11th round of counting with 27 percent. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang ends in fourth place at 19 percent after 10 rounds of ranked choice counts. The poll found that no one else in the eight-way field ever breaks double digits. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.